Today we talk about priming and downregulation in IVF. Is it really needed or is it just for the clinic's benefit? I'm Dr. Mark Amos, and this is Taco About Fertility Tuesday. One thing I hear all the time is that patients think that clinics put them on things like birth control for their own benefit, meaning they don't want to be doing IVF all month. So by putting people on birth control, we can then get them all lined up so they start at the same time. And that way the doctor gets a great schedule, gets weekends off. A common term for that would be batching. And then right before you start the IVF process, you undergo a downregulation scan where you're going to make sure everything looks good before you go through IVF. And so today I want to talk about, is it really needed? Do you really need to do priming? And is it just for the doctor? And the second part is with a downregulation scan. Why do you need to check right before going through? Is it just to make more money? We're going to talk about that today. So to be able to understand what a downregulation scan is, you need to understand what a downregulation scan is in the process of IVF. So for someone who's just listening, the first step in IVF is usually going on some type of priming agent, such as birth control, whether that is going to be a combined oral contraceptive, progesterone only, estrogen only. That is a whole other subject, but the point is you'd be put on something. Now, where the word downregulation comes from is we truly used to downregulate people's hormones by putting them on Lupron. So in the past, we used agonist cycles, and everyone would start on birth control, then put on Lupron. And the reason why is because if you start Lupron without being on birth control, one of the things that will happen is, is you will then make a cyst, basically being a follicle. The reason that you had to downregulate someone, because you didn't want their body to produce any hormones. You wanted to control it, with the IVF medications, such as FSH, to get the eggs to grow. And so by downregulating, you would make sure the hormones were not going on. That has changed now because now we have antagonist cycles. And part of the reason we used Lupron in the past was it prevented ovulation. But now with antagonists, we can also prevent ovulation, so we don't need to use Lupron anymore. Now, there still is some downregulation and upregulation that occurs but we've kept the name a downregulation scan prior to starting the IVF process. So as I started, people are put on some type of priming agent and they're usually on that for about two to three weeks. And then they go into what's called the stimulation. And that is where you take injections to make the eggs grow, at which time you're coming in for ultrasounds, verifying that the eggs are growing and make sure everything's going well. Prior to starting that though, you'll do what's called a downregulation scan. And that's where a lot of our focus is going to be today is what is the importance of it? Why are we doing it? And is it really needed? From my perspective, it is absolutely needed. And the reason why is because I always get back to this topic about the stress of IVF and the fact that there is so much riding on it. And what I mean by that is saying, if an IVF cycle fails, it's not just a failed IVF cycle. But that is hope that is lost in that patient. And so if you start off on a bad foot, 
and the chances are lower, it doesn't matter. The patient's still going to feel like they failed, their body failed, and it's going to hurt their hope and maybe their drive to keep continuing. So I feel like every IVF cycle should always be its best. And for that reason, the downregulation scan makes sure everything is good before you start. I always like to tell people it's kind of like the pit stop before the race. You're making sure that the oil's all the way up it's supposed to be, the tires look good, everything's tuned up. Now, obviously, your body is not that, but the point is still the same. Make sure everything is okay. Now, the part we didn't talk about is we said you would stimulate the eggs after the downregulation, which is true, and then eventually you retrieve the eggs, and then you do a transfer. And one of the parts in the downregulation is actually to even look at the endometrium. Now, this has fallen a little to the wayside now because most people are doing frozen embryo transfers. So what the lining looks like in the beginning doesn't matter because you're not going to be implanting into it. But before, when we were doing fresh transfers, this mattered. If your lining was abnormal, if there was, it was thick and it didn't look like you shed your lining, that may affect a transfer because then they may not want to transfer the embryos into that lining because they're concerned about it. And so they may freeze your embryos in that context to make sure that you have a good lining before the transfer. Now, again, today, most good clinics are doing frozen embryo transfers. And for that reason, that lining doesn't matter as much. And so that downregulation scan is as important to make sure the lining is thin and ready to build up. Now, if it's thick and it appears that it's not thin, I'm not going to be too worried because I know eventually when I go to the transfer, I can make sure it's okay then. So that's one of the first things we look at in the downregulation. The second thing we look at then is we look at the ovaries to determine, are there any cysts on the ovaries? And that's because cysts can create problems. For example, if you're doing a fresh transfer and we see there's a progesterone producing cyst, that can create an issue because now that uterine lining will not be good to implant into. And so that would be a situation, again, where you may not do a fresh transfer. If there is a cyst that's producing high estrogen, it doesn't always mean it's create a problem. You can keep proceeding forward with a cyst, and we do this all the time, like when patients have ovarian cancer or some type of cancer need us to freeze their eggs, we will push past a cyst and we do just fine. But it doesn't mean it's ideal, right? Meaning, yes, you can do it, but is that really ideal? Now, someone who has cancer and has to undergo surgery with chemotherapy eventually, they need those eggs taken out. It doesn't matter. We'll just get what we get. But if you're doing it in a controlled situation, you don't want to lower your chances. And so the question is, how does it lower your chances? Well, one of the first way it lowers your chances is it can affect the medications. Let's say you're using some type of med like Famara as a co-flare agonist in this situation to help your eggs grow. Well, the high estrogen level will affect the Famara from working as well. One thing I've noticed is when people have very large cysts, it tends to take more medication to get the same benefit. I don't know if it's just because of the way the meds are being distributed in the body when the cysts are there, but it seems to affect it. Other times, cysts can affect things because with the high hormones, it makes it hard to evaluate how things are going because the estrogen levels are high. Even the follicles aren't growing much, and it's hard then to adjust because of those things. And so in general, we are looking for those cysts to figure out if there's problems. Now, cysts themselves does not mean you have to be canceled. There can be an endometrioma, 
That's not a reason to cancel. You probably knew it was there before you started. You can have a corpus luteal cyst. Again, not a reason to cancel as long as you're not planning on doing a fresh transfer. But there are certain cysts that get to a certain size where it may impact whether you may move forward. An example I would usually use is if I have a patient who only has three follicles and I look and she has a giant cyst on one ovary and there's now only one follicle or two follicles, I may say, listen, it's not worth moving forward this cycle. You only have a few eggs here. Let's not start off on a bad foot. So I'd rather stop, regroup, and go the next month. Now, on the same token, if that same patient the next month had, let's say, nine eggs on on their ovaries, and I'm going, wow, this is amazing. I've never seen nine eggs. Well, I may then want to move forward regardless because now we have an opportunity. Just like if someone had 20 eggs and had a cyst, I may say, listen, it's not really producing much hormones. And even if it is, you have plenty of eggs, I'm not worried. So you have to talk to your doctor and determine if it's a good situation or not. I usually tell my patients I'm either going to recommend them going forward, canceling, or I'll give them the option where I say it's not unreasonable to move forward, but it's not the perfect situation. And obviously finances come into that, right? If everything's free, you might not care. But if you're paying for out of pocket, you may say, I really want the best chances. I don't want to take that chance, so I'm going to wait. One thing I do at my scans, and I can't say everyone does this, but I do my own down regulation, regulation scans when I can. And I make adjustments. So if I'm used to seeing someone, let's say, 12 follicles on their ovary, and then on the down regulation scan, I might only see eight, I may start off in a slightly higher dosage than I would have before. Because now I'm worried that there may not be as many this month. Today, I saw a patient and she had more follicles than she's ever had. But what was interesting is, is one follicle was a little bigger than the rest. And so for her, I'm going to bump the medications up a tiny bit, but I'm also going to bring her back early. And so one of the things a downregulation scan does is allow you to make those adjustments to make sure the cycle goes well. Versus if we never did it, I would have just brought her in the regular time we bring everyone in after several days of medication, and I would have potentially missed early ovulation or potentially missed an opportunity to have a better cycle. Now, it's just not ultrasounds that we only do. We also look at your hormones. And so we look at estrogen, progesterone, and usually luteinizing hormone. And what those are looking at is to make sure they're kind of low. We want that estrogen level usually even less than 35. It's not unreasonable to be higher. There are many times it should be higher, but we usually want it low. And we also want your progesterone level low. Now, that doesn't mean you won't get canceled because they're elevated a little bit, but it depends on the situation. So let's talk about a couple of those. If you're doing a luteal phase start where you're stimulating after you ovulate, that progesterone level is going to be elevated. If you are on estradiol for a priming agent where you are specifically trying to use a weaker priming agent, then you'll see a higher estrogen level at that point. So there you would be looking at the LH to make sure that everything's suppressed, that your body is ready to get going. And the estrogen, you know, is going to be elevated because that was the priming agent. The same thing, you can use those hormones to figure out what's going on with those cysts. So for example, if you see a cyst and all the hormones are flat, well, then you know that cyst isn't really doing anything. It has no problems just hanging out there for some reason, like 
an uncle you don't want to be have over for, you know, your family. But you can flip that the other way and say, hey, everything looks good. This is the most beautiful looking over I've ever seen. Everything looks fantastic. And then you check the hormones and they're through the roof and you're going, wait a second. Did I miss something? Matter of fact, I had this just recently where someone was just doing a scan with another ultrasonographer, not at our clinic. And it came back and they said the ovary was really tiny and that it had very few follicles. And I said, that doesn't make any sense. Her AMH is like five or seven. So there has to be more follicles than that. There's no way her ovaries are that small. And so clinically, what we do as physicians is we keep this stuff in mind and things usually make sense. And so when we get these hormones and we get this scan, we ask ourselves, does this make sense? That way, when we leave the pit stop to go to the race, we know everything is good. And so with that patient, I knew something wasn't right. They redid a scan and came back the next day realizing they didn't actually see the ovaries. Now, it's always important to know this is the way we do things. There may be clinics that only check hormones, and that's not unreasonable to do. I do think the hormones probably marry even more than the scan, but for me, the scan plays a part of it because it allows me to make those early adjustments. But I always think it's important to understand different isn't wrong. So then that takes us to the priming. What was the purpose of priming to this downregulation scan? Well, like we said in the beginning, the original purpose was put someone on Lupron, and that shut everything down. If your estrogen was even a little bit elevated, we knew something was wrong because the Lupron should have shut everything down. The way Lupron works is it basically is the hormone called GnRH, the natropin-releasing hormone. And when giving in large amounts, it actually causes you to not release gonadotropins like FSH and LH. So it eventually has the effect of shutting down your pituitary. When you no longer release FSH and LH, then everything suppresses. You don't make estrogen, you don't make testosterone, and so forth. Now, currently, we don't use that as much, so the downregulation scan is being used slightly different. But the priming still has some of the same purpose. The purpose of priming is to keep your body from making cyst, so when you're getting ready for IVF, it also causes upregulation of receptors. So if you shut down the brain from making lots of hormone, eventually the ovaries and the follicles around them start making more receptors looking for that hormone. They're like basically going, hey, I haven't seen the ice cream man in a while. Like, where's the ice cream man? And who doesn't love a good ice cream truck, right? So now you're like, well, listen, maybe I'm missing it. Maybe I'm just in the bathroom every time it comes by. So you start going, okay, I need to know when this ice cream man's coming because there's nothing better than a chocolate covered banana. So then you start putting up receptors everywhere. You're putting out like cams out there. You have a sound thing that looks for that crazy music that the ice cream truck makes. And now you know you're going to be ready. So as soon as that ice cream truck comes around, you're going to have more ability to recognize it. Well, that's exactly what your body's doing. By making more receptors, it's going to have a better chance to find it because it doesn't understand why it's not there. It's used to seeing the ice cream man all the time. And so it's like, where's my FSH? Where's my LH? And so it has to upregulate those receptors. But then when all those receptors are there, all of a sudden, the hormones are released and now the body reacts even better because there's more receptors. Just like if I have those receptors out for the ice cream man, now my whole family knows about it. Instead of just me getting my ice cream, all six of us get our ice cream. Now you probably heard me talk about how 
Sometimes some people may use different types of priming agents for some patients because they make so few eggs, we don't want to be as aggressive. And I definitely want to do another podcast on that because I feel like sometimes some people misunderstand that and think they shouldn't be on priming agents. Priming agents do have a benefit. As we talked about, upregulates receptors, which gets a better response, but it also synchronizes the eggs. So when they grow, they grow as a group. That way, there's a zone of where the eggs are mature between approximately 15 and 20 millimeters. So if you make 20 eggs, but only four fall in that zone, you really only have four good eggs. But if you make 10 eggs and all 10 eggs go in that zone, even if you make less eggs, you have more mature eggs. That is one of the other benefits of priming. So to answer the question, do doctors put people on that so they can have a better schedule? The simple answer is no. We do it because it benefits the patient. Even if my clinic was open all the time, I would still do priming. Now, there are clinics that don't. Again, doesn't make it wrong, but I can assure you one thing that is true. When I see those patients, it's one of the first things I look at is see the spread of the follicles and know how it affects it and usually will add some type of priming. Again, there's some very weak priming agents you can use so you don't get oversuppression for those people. And again, very small subgroup that don't need to be oversuppressed. Now, does that mean people don't appreciate the effects of priming? Well, I sure do appreciate it. I like to see my family every once in a while, but that is definitely not the reason we do it. Now, that being said, yes, you can be oversuppressed. And so one of the things your doctor should be doing is looking at if you're the type of person who shouldn't be on it for a long period of time. So if you got PCOS, you can probably be on it for nine months and it won't have an effect. But if you have diminished ovarian reserve, it's very important not to be on it for too long because it can oversuppress and you need to have some type of break while you're on the birth control. I even have patients who are on birth control for a year or two, stop it first, take a month off before we do IVF and start priming because I know they're going to be too oversuppressed by having been on the birth control for a year. In the end, now when you go in for your IVF cycle and you go for the down regulation scan, you realize, okay, now I know why I've been on this birth control the whole time. Now I know why they're looking at this. The purpose is for you. We want to make sure you have the best IVF cycle possible. And now we can make those small adjustments that are needed for things that we didn't know were there at prior appointments. It's literally the last check before you start. You don't want to find this stuff out three days later after you start the medication. You want to know it before you start. Now that we wrap that up, maybe we should all get some ice cream because I've been talking about it for a little bit here and I think even I want some. Hopefully this was a helpful episode for everyone. And if you enjoyed it, uh, as I always say, please, you know, tell us about us. Tell us that you enjoyed it. You can send a message to tbft at newdirectionfertility.com. Let us know that you like the show. And if there's anything you want us to talk about, tell your friends about us. Give us a five-star review on your favorite medium. But always the most important thing is come back again next week on Talk About Fertility Tuesdays.